Welcome to How She Got Here, Conversations with Everyday Extraordinary Women. It is my belief that every woman has something inside her only she can do. The more we share the stories of other women who have already discovered their thing, the more it inspires, encourages, and empowers other women to do the same. My guest today is Marissa Klein. She has had a love of words her entire life. She loved reading at a very early age and started journaling in the third or fourth grade and just never really looked back. We talk about everything from her college slam poetry team to how she parlayed a love of journalism and storytelling into her current role at the United States Holocaust Museum. So without further ado, here's Marissa. Well, good morning, Marissa. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, Susan. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. Well, I am so excited to be talking to you. I know one of the reasons, and I didn't even really talk to you about this beforehand, but one of the reasons that I originally thought you would be perfect for this podcast, I think it was back in January, you posted, or maybe it was, I don't remember where you posted, but you posted a poem that you wrote on Facebook. And I think you even talked about just how vulnerable that made you feel as a person to be putting yourself out there and putting your work out there. So I don't even know if I ever told you that, but that was one of the reasons that I was like, wow, that's so open and honest and a really cool thing to just say out loud. And I appreciated that as a human being and as a person and somebody who's, you know, trying to do this podcast. And so that was one of the reasons that I asked you, and I don't even know if I ever told you that, but a quick glance at your resume. Thank you. Yeah. I love your poetry and I love your work and you're just such a good writer. So I'm just so excited to talk to you today. A quick glance at your resume indicates a clear thread in all the roles you've ever had. You have a passion for writing and I would love it if you would share a little bit about that passion with us and where it comes from. I'd be happy to. And guys, kind of think back of where my writing passion came from I think it really blossomed first with just an absolute love of reading like I can't recall a time in my life where I didn't just have a book in hand and I've always been a voracious reader and my parents rule for me growing up was no reading at the dinner table I would try to bring a book with me everywhere and my parents really had to rein that in not they encouraged it of course but within reason and I'd say of course I always loved to read and then Um, One of the best things my parents ever did for me is when I was really young, probably third or fourth grade, my parents gave me a journal and really encouraged me to try to write every day in it. That just became a routine for me. So I learned to just communicate and process what my life was like through words. So from the time I was in elementary school to today, I still journal regularly. Nothing as routine as I used to, unfortunately, but um, it just became so natural to me to communicate through words. And as I got older, I just tried to pursue as many writing opportunities as I could. I was on my school's literary magazines, an editor at my high school paper, and then I studied journalism in college. And I love journalism, and I love interviewing people and storytelling, and I also love poetry. So I always try to carve out space to write poetry and started going to open mics when I was about 15 or 16 here in in Colorado where I grew up and performed some in college on my college poetry slam team so it just became such a big part of who I am and it's 
been a little harder, I think, as I've gotten older to find open mics or find the community that I had when I was in college or high school to be with other writers. But it's something I've always sought out. Wow. Wow. No reading at the dinner table. And you've been journaling since (laughs) third or fourth grade. That just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. I also had a, well, I had an older sister who a really good athlete and she was on these traveling competitive soccer teams so every weekend as a kid too I was thrown in the car and taken all over Colorado to wherever my sister's tournament was been was that week so thankfully I don't get car sick so I could just read all weekend long too at her game so she still teases me to this day that I never watched her play I would just read my book on the sidelines well actually that paid off yeah obviously no kidding Well, in the journaling from such a young age, I just didn't, I've never been a great journaler. I think I think a lot, but I'm bad about writing stuff down. And I've tried to get better at it over the years because I find it to be a calming thing for me. It's a good outlet, Mm -hmm. even though I'm not always great at articulating myself. But that is fascinating that you were doing that from the third or fourth grade. That is just, that is too funny. One thing, it was funny when you were talking about reading all weekend, it made me think of something that I haven't thought about in years. And do you remember, did you ever read those Sweet Valley High books? Do you even know what I'm talking no, about? No, I didn't, but I knew of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, of course I know what you're talking about. Yeah. This is so embarrassing. But I remember being in the fifth or sixth grade, I can't remember, <laughs> and we had gone to the library as a class that morning or something, and I checked out one of these books, and I got so involved in it, and somehow, like between reading during class, which obviously I wasn't supposed to be doing, or, you know, whatever, by the end of the day, I had finished that book. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. And the teacher was like, I really appreciate that you like reading so much, but you (laughs) cannot be doing this all the time. (laughs) That's just something I hadn't thought about in years. But tell us, for our friends who are listening who do not know what slam poetry is, would you tell us a little bit about what that is? Oh, sure. So uh, slam poetry evolved from an open mic in Chicago and there's one man attributed to kind of starting it. And so he was sick of kind of going to your boring coffee shop poetry reading. So he decided to turn it into a competition. And the so slams are fairly formulaic wherever you go to them. But usually um, everybody who um, performs has a three-minute time slot, roughly. I mean, the time perform a poetry piece. Typically, it's preferred to be memorized. And I would say slam poetry kind of has more of a rhythmic musical element to it maybe a little bit more especially in some circles hip-hop influence to it um it's a less at least when I write it I write it more for not thinking so much about metaphors or it's trying to be a little less highbrow a little more accessible and engaging so you really want your audience to respond because after you perform then your audience rates you there's judges randomly selected from the audience so they give you a score from one to ten and then so there's usually two or three rounds so whoever performs best in the first round gets to go on to perform more and more poetry so at the end it's somebody is actually a winner at it and I'd say overall my style is not geared exactly towards poetry slams but it's certainly fun to try to write in a different style and really think about not just the language you use but how you perform it and it was just a great opportunity for me to get some experience on stage and kind of conquer my fears of going before crowds in that manner it was just a lot of fun. And I haven't done slams in a long time, but um, doing it with a group in college too, 
was great because writing can be very solitary. So to have groups that you practice with and perform with was just a lot of fun. That is such a neat idea. I have seen it performed, but I've never actually, you know, written poetry or performed poetry. And I didn't realize so much kind of went into it behind the scenes, I guess. I think, I guess I saw it more when I have attended something like that. It's been more as a spectator. So that is really, Mm -hmm. that's fascinating. I didn't even know that. So that, thank you for sharing that. I may have to try to find one to go listen to. I think the great thing about, oh, I bet you could find some great ones where you are and I think what's fun about it is that it wants to engage the audience and it's, I think, a little bit more accessible than most people think of a standard poetry reading. Sure. You get some purists in the poetry scene that don't love it, but I personally love it because it brings people who wouldn't normally go to poetry events out to see that. And I'm a huge advocate of any accessibility in art, so I've loved it. Yes. And I want to talk about your views on art in a minute, but I think we can work it into maybe something because I remember you, you said you specifically wanted to talk about everybody having the ability to be an artist, but I think maybe going to this next question, you can kind of talk about that a little bit. You have had the opportunity to be a journalist on the international stage. So could you tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe how it's different from journalism in the United States? When I was fresh out of college with my journalism degree, I bought a one-way ticket to visit the man who is now my husband, who is living in Budapest. And I kind of had the intention that I would go for a month or two and then come back and pursue a full-time job at a newspaper in the States. But I got really fortunate when I arrived in Hungary and I was able to connect with a few English-speaking journalists there. And I was able to find freelance work very quickly. And so I was working for two different English language magazines during my time there. And it's not a straight timeline, but in total, I was over there for multiple years. And um, one of the types of writing, I did a lot of business reporting. So I was writing for the American Chamber of Commerce publication. And this was a really interesting experience because I wasn't fluent in Hungarian. So the events I went to were typically done in English or things would be translated to me. And as very young. So I was 21 when I arrived there. And a lot of the events I would go to, especially for the business community, were very male dominated. So I was really limited in that I wasn't fluent in the language. I was was very young and one of the only women. So I think I did hit some walls in which I didn't feel like I was taken as seriously as I wanted to be. I remember being very cautious about my clothing, trying to dress very business-like trying to kind of play up your age in that way. So that was hard. And certainly that's something I would have faced, whether I was in the United States or in Hungary. But kind of losing the ability to articulate yourself easily is very challenging when you're um, working with multilingual audiences. And also a big difference of journalism in Hungary versus the United States is the press freedom in Hungary deteriorated while I was there. So I did a little, just to put it in context, there's an organization called Freedom House that ranks freedom of the press internationally. And in Hungary, when I arrived, the press, there's better press freedom laws than there are currently. Currently, um, Hungary only gets a rating of 44 out of 100. And so 100 means you have no press freedom. So 44 is fairly high. And by contrast, the U.S. is at a 23 level. So when I left, there wow. was still free press in Hungary, but it was really under attack. And their conservative government is 
I could go, that's an entirely different discussion, but I saw um, newspapers getting pressure and journalists being very divided. And even the business magazine that I worked for um, received more and more political pressure and um, they out myself included I really started to transition to more tourism travel writing just because of that environment so say Hungary is a a struggling country in terms of press freedom so to see that firsthand is very interesting and unfortunately it's only gotten worse since I left really that makes me sad yeah (laughs) makes a lot of us sad that's just I mean I think as Americans, there are just so many, so much that we take for granted. And when we see just a little bit of it touched, we freak out. I mean, there's no other way to say it. We just freak out. And to think that there are still mm-hmm. countries that are fighting for it every day, more so than hopefully we ever will. Wow, I cannot imagine. And I can't imagine being a journalist in that situation. No wonder you kind of shifted things around a little bit. Yeah, it's really, it's just hard to see places backslide I know as a you just kind of hope that things progress and get the press gets stronger and more freedom and more ability to report on any story and it's very challenging and disheartening to really see that backslide and fortunately it's not a case just unique in Hungary but not something I mean it's not something you ever want to see or experience yeah wow so kind of turning a little bit towards what you're currently doing. You are currently the creative content manager at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. You also have, I would argue, some serious expertise in not just online content, but social media content and campaigns. I've seen some of the stuff that you've put out. It's pretty phenomenal and fun. And if you haven't checked out their, even their Facebook page is pretty amazing, which I think you are in charge of. Is that correct? I am not in charge of it. So they're on the Facebook. I, I do contribute or help our social media team. And you'll see some of my videos and content on there occasionally. We're okay. a huge staff. So we all, our marketing staff works very collaboratively. But I do not run our social channels, but I do work and share content. I'm a little bit more focused on the email side. Got it. We're a very collaborative team there too. I guess what I saw, I've seen some of the videos that you guys did. I think I remember seeing your first Facebook Live video and I think you were in it. I think, yes. I did launch our Facebook Live pilot series. So there was, we did a 10-week series um, that was aligned with another campaign we are doing. Uh I was given the great opportunity to be the kind of guinea pig to launch this weekly Facebook Live series, which of course doing anything live is very nerve-wracking. And I had wonderful staff around the museum and we got to give behind the scenes access to people who may never get to come to D.C., it's a great project. So that on Facebook, yes, I was very active in, and I, I did kick off the whole series in the museum. It was the videographer I work hand in hand with. We were trying to get a perfect shoot and book the talent and like, you know what, this one, I will just throw myself in and be on camera for the first episode and for the first teasing of it. Like I'm asking a lot of people around the institution to take on this project and get behind in front of the camera and like, I guess I can do it myself first too. So that was a good opportunity. Yeah, it was so cool just from, again, the spectator side of things. It was very, it was fascinating because I have never been to the museum myself and just being able to see it from afar was so, so inspiring. Just everything that is there and what you guys can, I guess, 
bring to the public and what you guys do on a daily basis. It's really inspiring. But tell us a little bit about how you were able to parlay a love of writing into your role, because it is content. So you're doing a lot of writing, I presume, at this point. But tell us how how this works for you on a daily basis. And to back up a minute from how I kind of got where I am from the journalism world is, yeah. after I left Hungary, I decided to pursue my master's degree. So I had a great mentor in Hungary who was a professor of arts management, and it was a field I'd never even heard of prior. And he um, encouraged me to learn more about it and give some recommendations to graduate schools. So I got my master's in arts management at American University in D.C., and this was a natural marriage to me because I was always covering business and I was covering the arts. So this really fused those two together and gave me the knowledge I needed to transition from covering the arts to working within a cultural institution. So I loved my grad school program and it allowed me to pivot my career into something more marketing focused. And I worked for a couple of years at a performing arts center called Wolf Trot Foundation for the Performing Arts. And that was that was a great opportunity and very fun. I got to see a lot of concerts and write about music for a living. So I couldn't argue with that. Right. Um, but then I saw that. Yeah. So that was that was great. But I was ready for something new. And I saw this job come up at the Holocaust. And it really piqued my interest because it was I believed so much in the mission of the museum. And it was really a dream for me to get to work on the National Mall. So to come every day and get off at the Smithsonian Metro is, I'm four years in there, and that still is a great opportunity every day to do that and be around some of the best museums of the nation. And so I came on as a writer-editor, and I would say even for people who love writing and especially people who are interested in journalism, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom around the industry but I would say even if you struggle to find a job at a traditional newspaper or radio station or TV station, the skills you glean through journalism training are very are highly valued in a lot of fields. So I studied print and broadcast. And so the fact that now in my job today, I get to do such a wide variety of writing that my journalism degree set me up for is just fantastic. So, um, I mean, in any given day, I'll edit a social media post, I'll write radio copy for an ad for NPR. I'll write longer for magazine articles. And then I'll do video interviews with Holocaust survivors. I think it'd be hard for me to find a job in which I am challenged on so many different ways of writing and also get to do things to a cause that I care a lot about. So I like that I can, I still feel like I'm a journalist in a lot of ways for the institution and I still get to use those skills, but I also just appreciate the stability of my job and the mission-based focus of it. Well, share with us a little bit about that, if you would like. I would love to hear more about it. Yeah. So when I was in Budapest, I lived in the Jewish quarter there. So that got me more interested in Holocaust history and covering the Jewish community there. And so when I saw this job come open in D.C., I was really kind of shocked that I would actually get to use any of what I learned while living in Hungary, especially historical content, and apply it to a job in the United States. And of course, it really made me kick myself for not getting better at the Hungarian language, how I interact with Hungarian speakers on a regular basis. <laughs> but that was all to say that I believe so strongly in this museum because 
really at its core, it's trying to preserve the memory of Holocaust survivors. And I think that's hugely important. And I'm entrusted to tell the story of um, survivors and victims of the Holocaust. And that's a huge honor. And especially getting to work with um, Holocaust survivors who volunteer at our museum. We have about 80 survivors who are at the museum regularly meeting with visitors, doing translations for us. Um, they travel around the country for Speakers Bureau. But I get to meet with them. I edit the essays that they write. I do video interviews, do some ghostwriting for them. And the fact that I'm trusted to tell their story and just ride that really delicate balance of getting to reflect on this history and not sensationalize it, but also really turn it into a teaching tool. Yeah. And we teach this history not to just know the facts of it, but to help people look. We always say to act differently in the face of hate, but to just learn about the dangers of hatred and where that can lead and where prejudice can lead. So we're, of course, showing the most shocking example of that, but it's rewarding. I think a lot of us, it's a challenging time right now, and we're seeing issues of xenophobia and other just reoccurring refugee issues in our nation. And this is me very much speaking on behalf of myself and not the museum. But I think it's, for me, it's important that I feel like my day-to-day work is doing some good and seeing the museum full every single day of visitors. And I just hope that they come and they learn something at the museum that they can take to their own lives. It's hugely important to me. Yeah, that's really powerful what you just said, because I am in like mind with you that we are struggling right now as a nation with some of these issues. And certainly there are debatable things that can be talked about, which I'm not even getting into, but really thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing that work. I didn't realize, wow, you guys have 80 Holocaust survivors there on a regular basis? Yeah, it's remarkable. The, wow. the willingness of these individuals to share some of the most difficult periods of their life in the hopes that it'll carry on the memory of loved ones that they lost and hopefully improve the future for other generations. I'm, I'm just in awe of their resilience and their openness. It's been such a good example of me to get to work with and live with. When it sounds like it's become their life work as well. And I mean, for so many reasons that makes sense, but for so many reasons, I'm impressed and just wowed that somebody could do that after going through something that is so unimaginable to me that I can only think of through images in a history book. I just can't, I cannot even begin to come close to putting myself in that situation and for them to share their stories and to do that on almost daily basis, I would guess, is just, I can't imagine that. And I never really thought about it, but I really appreciate them doing that. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. It's so, it's so important. I don't know, that just really touched me in a weird way. Anyway, sorry about that. I might have gotten a little emotional. (laughs) Um, Part of my job. (laughs) So... In that vein, even the strongest of us have moments when we lack self-confidence in what we're doing. 
And you don't ever appear to do that. I presume you do. I presume you hide it well. I could be way off base. Maybe you don't have these moments. But if you do, how have you dealt with that? Well, that is a very kind assessment of me. But of course, I have moments where I lack self-confidence. I mean, really, everybody does. And I guess I do have a really outwardly view of my one of my high school teachers used to always just call me very self-possessed. But I think I, of course, try to exude confidence in what I do. But oh, certainly I have moments of self-doubt. And I have um, a really wonderful team of editors who work with me at the museum who are always helping each other out and um, putting our best work forward. But I'd say one thing that's always helpful, well, there's a couple things that help me. And one is I really have the joy of surrounding myself with people who have far more faith in my skills and abilities than I do. I really could not speak more highly of my family and close circle of friends. I just have, I have a lot of cheerleaders and I cannot emphasize how important that is. And just to have someone to say, for instance, I just texted a friend right before this of like, Oh, I'm about to be interviewed for a podcast. I've never done this before. And um, she's like, Oh, you're going to be great. And just to have people who don't, you don't ever mean it insincerely, but just really kind of tell you the self-confidence or the affirmations that you want for yourself. And I, on this podcast, excuse me, I love that you talk about being professional coaches and I've been seeing one as well, who I just adore. And she's really good at showcasing or just making you see things through a new lens. And I think what I struggle with, I worry a lot more about how my decisions affect other people and the way that they make those people feel sometimes than the way they make me feel or how my actions help or hurt me. And so having other people to kind of to refocus how I see myself or my actions is so helpful. So I love that aspect. And then also I think something that's helped me in self-confidence, which is kind of funny, is I am also a total dabbler. I am very curious. I love learning new things, but I like to take on new hobbies and projects. And I wouldn't say I don't see them through. It's not like I'm building a house, but I kind of like start doing one thing and then switch to another. So for example, like the last couple of years, I've been taking guitar lessons, but I also have not picked up my guitar in many months. So I like to jump in these projects and try new things, but never attain or frankly really try to an expert level. So in my life, like a willingness to be a novice or very mediocre at activities is <laughs> really healthy. And I don't think enough people are willing, especially as we get older, to just pick up a new hobby, like knowing that you're not going to be any good at it. And it might just be fun for a little while. Yeah. I try to be that. And I think it's it's nice to be just humbled by something that like I'm I'm not a good guitar player but this is really fun and it gives me a creative outlet that's not writing and gets me to think about things or just try something new and I think that actually can really help people build up their confidence to intentionally fail at new hobbies and it's yeah. fine to see that there aren't always consequences and nobody in my life expects me to be a superstar or anything I take on and same with exercise. I love to work out, but I'm not a class, world-class runner or swimmer <laughs> or anything that I do, but I still do it because it's healthy and I like it. So 
a very long answer to your question, but that's something I've found and I think, and I encourage other people to do around me as well. Well, and within your answer, I think you answered one of my other questions, which I always love to ask is how do you recharge your batteries? But it sounds like that's one way you do it. Well, and those are several little ways mm-hmm. you do it, which are sound awesome and fun. What's your favorite? What did, What is the one thing that you're that's doing it. right now that you're just loving? Right now? If you had to pick a favorite. Well, the past, I'll pick one that I'm not doing immediately, but in the last year, one of my good friends, Amy and I, and my husband all took beginner ukulele classes at a community arts place in Washington. That is and that awesome. was a blast. And it was, we have a very quirky teacher who's, uh, he's a brilliant musician and gives no pressure at all in the class. He would just kind of show up and have some fun and play some music and go home. And it's doing that with friends and just having a good time and laughing a lot. It's just wonderful. So we're going to try to pick that up again in the fall. Well, that sounds fun and awesome at the same time. And I want to mention something because you said something a minute ago. You said you had called one of your friends to say you'd never done a podcast before. And I just want you to know you're a natural. And I think it's because you are a good storyteller, but you can do this all day long. So, you know, in your spare time, if you feel like starting one up, you, you go for it. Just do that. Um, Well, this is very fun and you make, I hear it in not only my interview, but the ones you've done previously that you really put guests at ease. So you are also a natural season. Well, thank you. I just think it's fun. I think it's fun and inspiring. It inspires me to tell other people's stories. And in a day and age where I just feel like we need to give women a platform to who otherwise may not have one. I mean, you are certainly somebody who works at a world-renowned museum. You know, some of my guests are just, you know, next-door neighbors who are doing some really cool stuff as well. And I just want to make sure that there are there is a platform available to share our stories because I truly believe that it inspires, empowers, and encourages others to figure out what their passion is and because I feel like we were all born with one. I really honestly do. I feel like we were all born with some sort of something that we were put here to do. And if we all can somehow figure that out, then we just make this world a better place. And so that's what I'm hoping to encourage and inspire and empower other women to do. So that's my goal. But anyway, I want to go back to something that I kind of started to talk a little bit about earlier and then I dropped it, but I said we'd come back to it and I'm going to mess this up because I can't remember your wording exactly. And you worded it so well. And it was so beautiful. You talked to me before this interview about how you want to make sure everybody understands the artist within themselves or something to that effect. Can you share a little bit about what you were trying to convey to me in that conversation? Sure. And I certainly can't remember exactly what I told you, but um, throughout my career and I just talked a little bit about that with just trying my own artistic pursuits but I believe so strongly in the power of creativity and expression and finding a way and I really dislike our culture that people are dissuaded from doing activities that they aren't really good at so I think we have a tendency to pigeonhole people of oh you're a great drawer that's fantastic do that and I myself am a terrible drawer. Like nobody wants me on their team and family pictionary, like terrible at it. 
but that doesn't mean I can't try <laughs> a bunch of other activities or still draw. And I am such an advocate for the amateur artists that I want people to go to community festivals, to go try their hand at just creating something. It's really healthy. And the when I was in grad school, I worked at a organization called the National Center for Creative Aging. And the project I got to work on was pairing graduate students in social work and healthcare and art with older visual artists. So they would help the visual artists set up their studios and help teach them to document their work and kind of build on their legacy. And I love that project. And within it, there was a major research project going on as well from the woman, Joan Jeffrey, who ran the project was called Art Cart. And this is a long way of telling you, but the studies that she's doing anecdotally, I could easily tell you that doing arts or creativity can extend your life, but there's actual science behind it and rigorous studying too, to just show how healthy it is to have something to express yourself through. And I just want more and more people to be willing to do that. And there's a motto that I'm completely stealing from an organization called Creative Morning that hosts lectures on creativity all over the world for free, usually once a month in every city. I'm certain that Dallas has one as well. And their whole motto is everyone is welcome. Everyone is creative. And I just think that is so brilliant and so succinctly put that everyone should be welcome to create, not just top world-class performers and everyone should be welcome. So that's one thing I just love that you're doing on this podcast is not just focusing on people who are already recognizable, but who are doing wonderful work and whether it certainly doesn't have to be an art, that's just what I'm passionate about, but showcasing how important each of our work is and that we can create. It doesn't have to be hanging up in a museum or some amazing published work, but I just want my work to encourage other people to be creative and tell stories and share things about other people's lives. Well, I think that it is. And I think I just appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate you sharing your creative talent through your poetry that you're willing to put up online. I appreciate you writing amazing content for the museum and <laughs> doing the Facebook Live, which I know is nerve wracking, or at least it was for me because you, you don't know how many people are going to see this and you're like, ah. it is hard. There's no editing. There's no editing uh -huh. here. Yes. It's so, but yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think you're right. I think people are often so many times either told no, don't do that, or that's not your outlet or, or whatever. And it's just, it's important. It's important to share anything, if not for someone else, then just for yourself. To just see what you're made of sometimes, I think. So I always like to leave with an action step, but it seems like you kind of already gave us one to find our creative outlet. And I don't know, do you have anything else to add? Am I missing anything? I'd say I really, of course, encourage people to journal. I think that's really healthy. Yeah. And... 
no, I think action step of trying to find a creative outlet for everybody or to try something new is what I always like to encourage people to do. And it certainly doesn't have to be in the arts. Like maybe you try running or walking or something, but I just love getting people out into the community and just taking part. So those are my simple action parts. Points. Well, I don't think those are simple at all. I think those are, I think those are things that we all need to to think about and do maybe, especially the journaling thing that has been really, really helpful for me trying to do more of that. When I do it, I feel better. So, but tell us one more thing before we go, because I always forget this. Tell us where we can find your work, either through the museum or if you have like, um, I don't even know if you have like a public, like creative outlet or anything at the moment but if you want to share some of your museum content with us or anything like that tell us where we can find you or where we can find your work sure i don't have a website at the moment i've been kind of dabbling in and out of that that's a good action step for me to get back to that so i think <laughs> i read my work go to whatever and it's you know someone who works in marketing you'd think i'd be better at that but i'd say that I do have a book of poetry that you can get on Amazon called Opened Aperture. Uh, so that you can read. That's some of my older poetry that I wrote, mainly based on my time living in Budapest. And then for the museum, if you subscribe to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum email, I am usually leading the content on a lot of our storytelling emails. So if you read those, you can see my work. And I also was the copywriter for a book that the museum published last year called The Last Witnesses. And that book is, every page is a picture of an item that's in our collection. So personal artifacts and our designer, Mary, just did a beautiful job laying it out. And then with the uh, visuals, I then tell the story of who the object belonged to, what the story behind it is. So that was one of the biggest projects I worked on at the museum that I'm very proud of. And that is also, you can buy it at the museum or you can buy it online as well. That is awesome. And I will make sure on our website to go and link all of those things so that people can easily find those. So you guys can just head on over to the website and check those out. Marissa, thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your work week and out of your vacation slash work week. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and to just share what you're doing and just what your, your thoughts on life. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I love doing this. It was very fun. And thank you for making this podcast. All right, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you found just as many good nuggets in our conversation as I did. Y'all, I will make sure and have all the links to the things Marissa and I discussed over on this episode's page, uh, transcript page on the website. So if you didn't have a chance to write something down, you can be sure to find a link at www.howshegothere.com. Y'all, seriously, thanks again so much for listening and for sharing this podcast with your friends. This show is truly a great love of mine and I really appreciate the opportunity to bring it to you. Y'all, your feedback has been overwhelming, and I really cannot believe how many subscribers we have. It's so exciting. I'm just so thankful that so many people have been able to find it. 
and that it has resonated with so many women. One way that it makes it easier for other women to find is if you rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. So I would really appreciate it if you would rate and review it so that it makes other it easier for other women to find it. Y'all are my people and y'all are just the best. And I love, 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 love sharing this work with you. Thanks again, friends. I'll see you soon.